This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by AwesomeDice.com, the most awesome place to get dice. And listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links and for being patrons at patreon.com slash Show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tomos, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 348, we're going to find a new hope for our campaign by adding some new players. And joining us in this episode is the Tome Show social media manager, writer for Fat Goblin Games, uh, DM for roughly, I don't know, I'm, I'm estimating probably you're up to 736 games all running simultaneously <laughs> at this point. Welcome back, Ismail Alvarez. It's uh, good to be back, as always. I figured that uh, it's been uh, several months since you were last on, and uh, the last time we chatted, I, I felt like you were your the number of your games that you were running in a week was growing exponentially. So, is that yeah seven hundred some games? Is that fair now? <laughs> uh, yeah, since the start of the pandemic, uh, you know, I my my uh, gaming load uh, grew exponentially. Correct. Um, I am at 8.5 a week. Right? When, when that 0. 0.5 is I game every other week on Sundays um, as one of the one of those games. And so I count uh-huh. that as a 0. 0.5. But yeah, uh, I've been trying to manage that number. And it seems like any time I try and cut one game out about it's a Hydra. Just I cut one game out and two more sprout in its place. So um, 8.5 games a week. And last time I checked, there were seven days of a week. Do you have any days off? Uh, funny enough, Thursdays and Saturdays. Um, so Mondays I have two <laughs> games. Tuesday I have two games, and then Sunday it's a game and a half. Uh, so the math ends up co- uh, coming out. But Saturdays I, I have nothing going on, and I hope to keep it that way because uh, I hope to keep myself sane. Yeah. Um, and I do play in one and a half of those games, so there is that. Oh, okay. You're not you're not <laughs> running all of them. No, only six. Only you're six only you're only DMing games. six games a week. <laughs> yes. Oh man, uh, uh, more power to you! But you got to know that is ridiculous, right? Oh, it yeah, I know full and well. <laughs> it's completely ridiculous. Um, and I so I, I say I tried to cut one out, and then uh, suddenly uh, a group was like, "Hey, uh, we really want you to run a game for us." And I'm like, ah, "I don't know. I I don't feel like I have the time." They're like, "We'll pay you." So I was like, oh, I, "I can okay. make the time." Yeah, I was wondering, are you are you getting paid for your time on all these games? One of them, anyway. <laughs> Just one so far, but I'm hoping that to, I'm hoping that that'll be the uh, the start of a a beautiful relationship. Yeah, sure. I mean, you're doing it enough; you could make a job of it. I'm not generally I, a big fan of DMing as career or as job, but um, you know, if you're going to be running that many games and people are begging you to do it, then uh, I guess there's a market, right? Uh, it. Certainly where I'm at, yeah. I, I, I definitely seem to be finding uh, enough people. It seems every time I turn over a rock, there's a group that wants me to run a game for them. I guess. Good Good on you. I, I sense two potential future advice episodes. One, how to run a game for money. And two, how to handle DMing that many games. Mm. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> um, and... <laughs> <laughs> Yes. That's going to be amazing. I, so, Jeff, let's get on those. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the the topic for this recording is Ismail's doing as well. I, I recognized yes. I've been exhausted from the semester and just c- couldn't dedicate the mental energy to figure out and organize an episode. So I just sort of tweeted about it and Ish was like, how about this? I'm like, okay, but you have to be on it. <laughs> so here oh, we yeah. are. <laughs> you have to be on it and it's in two days. Can you do that? Yes. <laughs> yes. So here we are. Yeah. And then um, everyone should not forget that this episode of Home Show is brought to you by support of AwesomeDice.com. They sell awesome dice, but they also have gift cards. You can choose from $10, $25, $50, or $100 gift cards. Use Amazon Pay to pay for them, and uh, you can give them as gifts to people in your life who appreciate awesome dice. Check them out, AwesomeDice.com, and be sure to tell them Home Show sent you. And good way to help your DMs and other folks. Look. If you're going to roll dice, you're going to need precision. AwesomeDice.com has sharp edge dice for a fraction of the price of other such precision dice sellers. Chill out, my man. Oh, hello, Bard. Please, share your bardic inspiration about dice. Yeah, I've got bardic inspiration dice. Is this... Totally mellow cannabis theme set with smoky interior. Exclusively available at awesomedice.com. I see. Well, precision, bardic inspiration, or one of countless other unique dice sets. It seems you can get it all at the most awesome dice company on the internet, awesomedice.com. And don't forget to let him know the Tome Show sent you, dudes. Would, would, you, uh, would you run a game for people if they paid you in dice? Like every player brought you one die every single week? Oh, gosh. Yeah. But <laughs> I, we would have to figure out how to make it sets because when, when I have dice that don't match, it drives me a little batty. Yeah, you'd have to have the right number of players so they can each... You know, <laughs> yeah. You're in charge of the D4s. You're in charge mm-hmm. of the D20s. <laughs> or they can just give the gift cards. Or give gift cards. Perfect. That's pretty. <laughs> All right. So, so as I did, we... Oh, so the, about this... Oh, I'm so sorry. I was just going to say, uh, one of my groups about a year ago did give me a gift basket. So that was really nice. Oh, nice. It was specifically because I was running the game for them. Nice. Yeah, no, I my uh, my current group is, is very... Um, they're very, very generous. Uh, when I first... Actually, when I first moved here and before we'd ever even run a game... Uh, but I had agreed to to slide in and become their DM. They were a gr- an established group. This is relevant to the topic. They were an established group uh, who lost their DM, and I was a DM moving to a new area, uh, and so it was serendipity. Uh, but they they got me a little one of those little uh, meteorite D twenties, um, right? Holy as, sort cow. Of, as sort of a welcome gift. Here's a little meteorite D twenty. So I don't even play with that one. It just sits on the shelf. I bet. Yeah. It would be, it would be like that sapphire one that they sold a while uh, a while back. I wouldn't right. play with that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, uh, but then every year, uh, come you know, every year for the last two years that I've been here, uh, come Christmas time, everybody sort of does the gift exchange of of geeky game based things. Like um, the name of our of the current party is Guest Services. So, so they, one guy made like notebooks with our logo on it and the name, nice. so I've got a dungeon master one. It's just graph paper. And on the back, it's got the map of Barovia with, uh, been there, done that. Cause we had just finished curse of Strahd. 
You know, so it's little little things like that. The same guy got it the first year got us all uh, guest services pint glasses, and so I've got oh, that nice. in my cupboard. And um, I, I had uh, uh, Tome Show artist uh, Jay Sloan um, custom. She does uh, dice. She makes custom dice, and so I had her custom make clear dice with um, with a raven skull embedded on the inside uh, for for everybody as well. So. So we all do, you know, do the the exchange thing and give each other geeky sort of campaign themed gifts and whatever. They're, it's a very generous group. That's awesome. So, yeah, but that is not the, necessarily exactly the topic uh, that Ish brought with, to us today. Um, the topic was how to go about sort of incorporating a new player to an established group. Um, whether it be sort of at, at the beginning of a new campaign or in the middle of an ongoing campaign and, and all that kind of stuff. So, so that is what we are here to talk about in this episode. Unless Absolutely. I, unless I lied to everybody and I, and you thought we were doing something else. <laughs> no, that is exactly what okay. I wanted to talk about. <laughs> okay, relevant, relevant to some recent happenings. So I thought that would be a good way to explore it. Yeah. So I thought, pertinent to the to the question or to the topic is first how and when might that happen like when we're talking about adding a new player to an established group what is what are the circumstances that that occasionally occurs well um i so in in my running of the the six games a week i have found that it is uh, largely and it's like someone in my game is like oh man you gotta check this out it's really cool um and they'll bring someone along uh and so suddenly i'll find myself in a game that's been going for for months close to a year mm-hmm. and then trying to integrate someone new and it's it's always tricky uh i, I you know i i don't think that there's like a a cure-all catch-all kind of way of doing it that's uh, especially organic. Um, and, you know, your uh, I guess your mileage may vary. That's why we're talking about this. But it's the hard part is just me- like bringing them in to a group that's like uh, got established history. Uh, they've done a whole bunch of stuff. They've got like all kinds of inside jokes or, and stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the hardest part is making the new person feel like they're a part of the group mm-hmm. when... Um, you know, there's so many moving parts that they have to kind of integrate into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's that's one of the the ways that that happens, right? You've got an you've got an ongoing group, and things are awesome, and people are talking about it, and and then somebody else is like, "Oh, that sounds awesome," and and you know, pretty soon, you know, you're a DM, and and one of your players is coming to you saying, "Hey, can I bring so and so along? They want to play too, right?" And then you have to. To integrate them in, are there other examples that that we've run into where you've added new players to a group? Uh, let me think. Um, there, so the one of the biggest ones is like somebody leaves or a number of people leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might be the kind of thing where like you know two or three people leave. Maybe they've had to move away. It's like you've got like the you know two brothers and and their friend who are just moving out of town. And so all of a sudden it's like, well, we got to inject new life into this campaign or like, I don't know if you guys want to run. Um, 
just me and two people, uh, like that's kind of the example, but um, I find that there's this kind of threshold where people feel less comfortable um, playing a game, and so eventually you just kind of have to pat it out for about three or five. Sure. Um, that's typical, but not not always the case. Uh, and so that's when that, it's almost different. Like you have to go out and start recruiting people. Right. And that's kind of where I was thinking was there's there's kind of two angles where this usually happens. It's either somebody was interested and convinced somebody to sort of introduce them and bring them into the group. Or you you were interested in growing the size of your group and went out and recruited, for, possibly from friends, but could also be, you know, I posted some random places on the internet or, or at the local game shop or whatever, and we just found new players that nobody to, to join that nobody knows. And I feel like um, there are some nuanced differences to how you might address those two different situations sometimes. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Are there any others that I'm missing? I guess technically it kind of fits in the first one, but if you have a family member who finally got old enough to play, we don't have that yet, but I could see that happening. But you're thinking about that, right? Yeah. I've certainly had, um, I've certainly occasionally over the years had to feel to the question from my kids of, oh, you need a new player? I'll, I'll join in. (laughs) <laughs> and then we have to have a conversation about how, well, that would be great, except this is kind of the adult game and the themes are not necessarily one that I want to. And even as like my oldest has gotten to be a teenager, it's not that the themes are inappropriate for him. They're just not the kind of things that he. I feel like he would be comfortable doing with dad at the table, you know? Hmm. Digging into to themes that it, that it might involve sexuality or whatever with dad right there at the table might not be super comfortable. Great. Totally. Which is, incidentally, and, and as a tangent, uh, part of why I started my Sunday afternoon group uh, game, which is just me and my children. So they get to, to play regularly as well now. They're running descent into, or they're playing descent into Avernus. Because, well, and I think because we got those big fancy boxes, and I need to use them as much as possible. <laughs> uh, but I was going to say that kind of plays into the idea too. It's uh, sometimes it's about prepping someone to play instead of just bringing them in mm-hmm. uh, to a whole established campaign. Um, and that's something that I've dealt with as well. It's really uh, funny that you mentioned all of that. Because one of the groups that I uh, actually play or run the game for, um, there had been a couple of times where work obligations made it so I couldn't run the game. So one of my players would run like this kind of the series of one shots. And when he did, one of the other players brought his son in because he felt like that was a good way to kind of, um, you know, prep him for the game. And it was like, you know, a better way to onboard than like, oh, here's all this lore and, you know, exposition that you need to Mm -hmm. know to kind of jump in and, and hit the ground running. No, it's like... Here's just a really quick, fun, quirky one shot that you can kind of, you know, you, you, you cut your teeth on and, and kind of understand how this game works and not have to worry about the whole weight of the rest of the campaign. I thought that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I think the first thing to think about um, beyond before we even get to 
how do you bring a new player into into an established group? Whether you know, and then the two different scenarios: new campaign or ongoing. Um, I think the first question to really ask, though, is is how do you how do you know if the player, the person, is going to be a good fit with the group? Uh, game aside, how do you know bringing in this other person to the group is going to is going to work out? What do you think? Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's um, a very good question. I think back to when I was uh, running the middle school D and D club games and so on, and it was. Um, maybe like a crash course and figuring out how different personalities would mesh. Cause there was no choice really. Um, sometimes you could, you could kind of mix and match with two different groups, but sometimes it was just like, okay, there are personalities that are going to clash and we kind of have to deal with that and, you know, try and find some maturity. Um, and it's funny because it's, you know, you, you find a lot of parallels when you're doing the games for middle schoolers as you would for, uh, full-grown adults, and uh, you find a lot of those same kind of parallels and, and such, but it helps to know how to negotiate those differences, but uh, that being said, it's not a catch-all, and you do still have to really, like, you know, I, I find myself being very intentional. If I find a new player who wants to, let, let's say, join one of my games, I would really have to give it some heart, like, some thought as to where they would fit best, Mm-hmm. Uh, for the for their sake, just as much as for the groups, uh, like it would be unfair to put someone in a in a group where they weren't um, doing terribly, like they wouldn't like get along terribly well. And sometimes it's just uh, not so much personalities as it is play style. Like so, maybe this group likes hack and slash, this group likes you know uh, social emotional drama, and like you know you you want to find the best fit for people because play styles. Uh, have a lot to do with someone's like expectations and enjoyment of a game, I find. But that's almost an, a separate topic. Well, and I find that a lot of times, sometimes you have the ability to say, like, let's get to know each other. Let's see if you're going to be a good fit with the rest of the group or not. And and I think there are some good ways to do that. Like before, um, when I'm when I moved. Here I'm in the South Bend, Indiana area, and when I moved here um, a couple years ago, I was coming in as I was the new player joining an established group. I had a group um, that that lost a DM, and I was a DM looking for a group, and so it worked out really well. But I also like wanted to navigate this, and that put that also put me in a weird place, right? Because on one hand, as the DM, you're kind of the authority of the game. On the other hand, in this situation, you're also the outsider because they all know each other and have been playing for a while without you. Um, and so I wanted to sort of try to navigate those waters a little bit. And so we we decided, you know, before we get together, before we start playing the game, let's let's just let's all bring a card game or a board game and we'll get together at the local game shop and we'll eat at the restaurant next door and and we'll just sort of hang out, have drinks, have a meal, go play some card games for a night, get to know each other a little bit and feel it out. Um, you know, and, and if nothing else, it was a way of being like, let's, let's make sure that the others of us aren't creeps before we start inviting each other into our, into our houses, you know, um, with yes. where, where we have kids living. Cause the, the game has been, been housed <laughs> in two different houses at this point, mine where, I, and I have kids and, um, a couple, uh, a husband and wife, um, hosted it for while we were moving in and they have kids. And so there was a, 
Um, you know, we, we all wanted to make sure it was going to be okay to, to bring people into our homes when we had kids and all that. And so that was a good way. And I think that's a good, I mean, if you can, if you can do that, I think that's actually, it, it worked well. And I think it's a good idea. Uh, you know, get to know people a little bit outside of the campaign, get together somewhere for drinks or, or dinner or at the local game shop and play some games or whatever. Right. Um, Absolutely. And, and so that worked pretty well for us, but I've also had a lot of times where like, there's a lot of situations where you don't really have a lot of, like you talk about, you know, see if this person's a good fit for this group, or maybe I'll put them in that group or whatever. Um, most of us don't have those options. We only have the one group, <laughs> right? It's true, uh, yes. And, and the player who's coming in, if they were, if they're joining because, you know, uh, one of the, the group members was friends with them or, or was talking to him about it and brought him in or as mm-hmm. just as often I found that I, as the DM, you know, met somebody and, and invited them to come in and join or whatever. Um, in, the, in that situation, like they're specifically coming to join the group. And if the play style is different, you, you, we kind of just figure that out in the first couple of sessions. I've had, I've had uh, not here, but in the North Carolina, when I, I lived there for 11 years, and I had a group, one group there the whole time, but we had at least two, if not three or four different instances where new players joined the group, stuck around for a couple of weeks, and then left. We, and I would argue we even had a few that stuck around for, for longer, stuck around for, for nine months or a year or two years uh, before they just decided the game wasn't really their style anymore and, and went their own way. Um, and I think that's fine. I think that's, that's an okay way to do it too. Let's, you know, let's just test it out and see how it goes for a few weeks. See if we're all having fun with this. Um, and then go from there. And if you don't, if you don't want to keep playing, no hard feelings, you know, we still like you. <laughs> we can still, you can still be friends with the people that invited you to come. Um, but this isn't how you're going to spend your time together and that's okay. Uh, yeah, and I, I do believe that was my a uh, large part of my experience circa like year 2000 to 2010 was just like a lot of trial and error. Mm-hmm. And some of that was like looking for a whole new group after our last group had like kind of dissolved uh, and really just trying to see who gelled, like trying not to get your feelings hurt when like, you know, two or three people left all at once. But um, it, it's it is a lot of uh, trial and error, and I think maybe in those days it was a little bit more. Um, gosh, what's the what, what's the word? Like every, I think everyone was trading carefully, and everyone was like, "Are these really the people that I want to spend like you know uh, a, a day out of the week with uh, into perpetuity?" And I, I, I think maybe um, that you get more games and you have more people playing. There's less of a sense of like. I might be stuck with this group and more of like, this could be just a fun thing that I don't have to mm-hmm. feel like I'm, I'm uh, kind of uh, anchored to. Yep. Yeah. So I think, I think some, yeah, I think if you can, if you can afford to sort of get to know people before you bring them in and sort of gauge whether they're going to be a good fit or not, then that's great. Right. Uh, I certainly recommend if you're the player who, if you're the member of the group, who's, talking to a friend about your game and they show some interest, I encourage you to sort of do that mental math in your head real quick to be like, is this person going to like significantly clash with anybody at the table? Mm -hmm. If they are, maybe I, maybe I, 
you know, suggest some places where they could find their own group or, you know, go to the local game store and join up with some Adventures League to test some things out or whatever, right? Um, you know, encourage them to play. Um, start a new group with them. That's what Ish does, right? <laughs> about the long and the short of yeah. the <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> they may not be the perfect fit here but you know we, let's just start another game that's fine <laughs> yes um you too can become a manager mm-hmm. <laughs> uh because that this conversation is reminding me a lot of just that type of thing like um people i know who uh do more management stuff talking about trying to figure out uh learning styles or even just interaction styles and knowing pretty early on if two people are are Mm -hmm. likely to hit it off. So it's a good place to practice those skills or even learn them uh, too uh, in a fun way rather than a... a Right. Something a little less uh, high stakes. Yeah. Although it doesn't always feel low stakes because when when a game, when a players aren't gelling, like it's stressful and it feels like there's a lot of drama. So you do want to take at least a thought to is this going to work? Or, or, you know, sometimes there's obvious signs like this person's not going to gel with that person. Maybe it's not worth it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say all this talk of managerial stuff. It makes me wonder if, uh, if we could write a book called who moved my dice. <laughs> a, a self-help book where D and D teaches us how to, how to manage others. Yeah. And that feels like the kind of thing that uh, Shelley Mazanoble was writing um, several years back now, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that was kind of the crux of it, right? Right. I miss those books. Those were, those, those were the good old days. We, I remember interviewing <laughs> her about that, Tracy? Yeah. She told me that we were going to get together at Gen Con and get pedicures, and we, that never happened. We'll have to get back I, to I, that. I still remember that. that she, You and I and she <laughs> and her husband, Bart, who also works for Wizards, were all going to go out and get pedicures at Gen Con sometime. And it just never quite came together. But we'll have well, to... she's writing another book, isn't she? She is. She and, and Greg Tito are writing a book um, together Ooh. about Dragon Talk. And all the, people they've, all the people they've talked to and all the things they've done. So... So yeah, okay. So so think about some whether or not somebody's going to be a good fit before you invite them, and then I think it's a, you know if you can do sort of a let's get together outside of the and the normal campaign and get to know each other a little bit, then that's fine too. Um, but I find more often than not, you find out whether or not you're a good fit with the group in play usually within a, the first few sessions, right? Mm-hmm. That's been most of my experience. Most of my time experience when somebody has joined a group and it didn't work out, um, they knew within the first couple of weeks and then were like, hey, thanks for inviting me. This 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 isn't really the what I'm looking for right now, but thanks, you know. Um, and that's okay. Uh, I don't think I, I've ever had anybody do that and I felt bad about it because we tried it out. They wanted to try it out. Everybody was happy trying it out, and it just didn't work. And usually that's a, a play style thing, right? Somebody might have come from a, a wargaming background, and this, so that's kind of what they had in their mind, and that's not the game that was being played. And so, um, or, or, you know, I, one of the players was coming from 
we were playing fourth edition and they had they were a big third edition player who'd never played fourth edition before and we were several years into it at that point and so um they got into it and said yeah i'll give it a shot and then it just wasn't what they wanted and so after they tried for a few weeks and then and then went their way um I've, and i've added new players in my current group as well but that might be worth talking about as we get into our our other topics uh and that is what is I think it's probably easier. No, I think it's let's start with the hard one. You've got a group, you've got an ongoing campaign, you're in the middle of that campaign, and a new player is going to join. How do you do that? Because I think it, once you figure that out, talking about adding a new player to a new campaign is a little bit easier of a conversation because we've already established most of the, the things. Yes. Um, and I mean, that's exactly the situation that I was in uh, most recently, where um, it, it was kind of amusing. So this is a game that I uh, stream. Um, and so we, we get a couple of bots that watch us every week, but it's uh, it is now a Monday game that started off as a uh, Curse of the Crimson Throne, which curiously is a, a, a Pathfinder adventure path that I ran in fifth edition and uh, I had a blast doing and the people that I was running it for, they uh, they went and told one of their really good friends. They said, "Hey, you got to come and watch this. We stream. It's a blast." And uh, the person they asked that they asked, they were like, eh, "You know, if it wasn't pandemic times, I probably wouldn't watch." But like, I have, I literally have nothing better to do. Let me watch. Mm-hmm. Kind of coming in skeptical, and then she was really uh, jazzed and really excited, and asked if she could play. And so I kind of gave we, that that campaign concluded, and I came, kind of gave everyone a couple of options, um, and and you know it was a great entry point for her. But what the rest of the players really wanted was to continue with the same characters. They were very like invested, and they were like, "No, we don't want to start over. We've fallen in love with our characters. We really we really want to keep going." And that's I think I talked about this about the time. Uh, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden came out because that this was a group of level ten people that wanted to play Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, and I'm like, how am I going to make that work? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just I just brought everything up to to be a challenge, and it's been working out pretty good. But I did feel bad for uh, our new. Uh, she was coming in with very, like little to no D and D experience, uh, playing a tenth level druid because I was just like, play whatever you want, don't. Like, don't limit yourself by what the other people say. Like, oh, we need this or we need that. Just play whatever you want. And so she picked a druid. And just that, like, fifth fifth edition is by far the easiest uh, edition of D&D to bring people into. And it's really awesome because it's it's easy to, to grasp. And there's, like, you know, a low level of complexity even with that at tenth level as a druid. Uh, I feel bad just bringing someone in. Um, brand new to to play something like that with all the spell options and wild shape and all mm-hmm. this other stuff. Um, so she then uh, this new player then asked if I could run this game. This is the one that I was alluding to before. Uh, she's like, oh, I know a lot of teachers and they want to play. They've some most of them have never played before. And I, she says, I want to start at level one so that I can kind of get a better feel for everything. And so uh, that's the game that I'm now getting paid to play. Or to run, um, and so that was kind of a really good solution. But uh, in absence of being able to add to, to a dungeon master's workload, 
Um, it it is just the trickiest part is figuring out how to bring someone in with a character who's going to feel like they're part of the group and and with that mm-hmm. level of city. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I gotta, oh, go ahead. I was going to say I have a question. How are we differentiating this from the case of a player, a person who's already in the group who loses, like their character dies, and then they mm-hmm. want to introduce a new character because there could be some overlap. Yep, and I, just... I think there's yeah, I think there's um, I think there's some similar advice to give in some regards, right? Because um, either way, you're at, you're introducing a new character into the group, but a new player adds a whole extra dynamic because at least if if I have a player whose character dies and they're bringing in a new character, like they are still an established figure in the group as a player. Uh, and I find that a lot of times um, the p- other players are a lot more willing to almost extend the belongingness from the previous character to the new character just to smooth things over and make things easier. Uh, and I find that people will do that with new players as well um, a lot of times, but, but it doesn't feel as organic. Right, um, there's a little bit of momentum for the established player with a new character that they can sort of ride, but that momentum, that social momentum, isn't there for the new player to the group. Does that make sense? Totally. So yeah, so I've um, yeah, I guess I don't know. It feels like I, I've I've. I have brought in new players to an ongoing campaign at every sort of tier of a campaign before. So uh, at least in my anecdotal experience, uh, I've run into some things that seem to work and some things that don't, right? On one hand, um, you know, if you got an experienced player coming in and they're just tra- trying out a new group, and then I don't feel bad if they try it out for a few sessions and, and then they don't like it and that's fine. And, and they might not like it because the play style is different and they might not like it for the very real reason of there's an ongoing thing going on here and I don't feel like I'm part of it. And if I stuck around long enough, I probably would be, but it, I don't, I, know, I just don't feel like it's worth it to to try to integrate into that ongoing story. Um, and that's fine. I feel a little bit worse if it's somebody who's completely new to the game because I don't want them to have a bad experience with their first time playing. Um, I don't want them to give up on the hobby uh, and with gaming because I couldn't adequately integrate them into a new group, you know? Yeah, that's uh, probably my greatest fear is just taking someone who's brand new to the game and through whatever, you know, course of actions or, or you know, events... Uh, that they just decide, oh, I guess D&D is just not for me. And if someone reaches that conclusion organically, like everything goes right, but they just aren't feeling it, I, I definitely feel better than if like I made a mistake or I, you know, made the choice of of putting them together with like a person or persons who uh, just like personalities clashed or play styles uh, clashed and mm-hmm. they otherwise might have, uh, you know, found... Uh, um, you know that they that they did like D and D and that they wanted to continue playing, uh, but uh, I think in that same way of like fifth, fifth edition being like so much easier to run, it's also so much easier to bring people in. And I found that at least that degree of of like maybe math anxiety or like system anxiety uh, isn't as prevalent as it was like 
Um, I don't want to pick on Pathfinder, but like that was one that was hard to bring people into because it was like, okay, read these three books. <laughs> right. Well, and, and, um, and not, I mean, Pathfinder borrows that problem from third, ed- third edition. Like third edition D&D was a game that heavily rewarded system mastery. Oh God, yes. And new players aren't, don't have system mastery by definition, right? Um, and yeah, to be fair, that's it was exactly the same thing with third edition, uh, where like, yeah, you just had to know the game uh, backwards and forwards, and it was not really forgiving to new new people. Um, but yeah, I mean, that being said, that's just an example. I'm not picking on third edition or, or Pathfinder. Uh, but that is to say, it's just so much uh, nicer to like have at least the system not be a source of anxiety for either the person running the game or the person just you know playing for the first time. Mm-hmm. I found um, so I know what is fifth edition Adventures League talks about what is it four tiers of play? Does that sound right? Where you're talking about like the, the tiers the, of the different levels, levels, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's the first tier, which is levels one through four. Uh-huh. Second tier, five through ten. Uh, third tier, I believe, is 11 through 16. And then the, the fourth tier is 17 through 20. Okay. Uh, I did a, quite a bit of, of Adventures League, so I uh, like right, right, right. those numbers are kind of familiar. And I find people who, who I, I don't know, I I find there are seg- there are corners of the internet wherein they talk about the tiers of 5th edition D&D as if that's a thing that everybody should just know. And and I don't, not in the way that I thought about it in 4th edition. To my, in my, to my mind, the 4th edition tiers sort of were very definitive like because you could break down like this is the type of story you're going to tell in each tier of the game and and so i still break it down into into three tiers because that's what fourth edition did and that's what makes the most sense in my head canon um but i find if you break if you take D and you split it up into sort of three tiers like that uh, and i might even give first tier a decent range you know one to nine and then mm-hmm. break it up you know 10 to 5 and, and 15 and above or whatever um but I find that bringing in a new player to an ongoing campaign in the first tier is a much easier prospect um, oh gosh, yes. th- than bringing them in later. Uh, in the first tier, uh, you know, you're largely still playing uh, adventures that are establishing the the setting, and you're you know definitely the characters' backgrounds and their stories matter. But it's still a lot of establishing and learning what those backgrounds and those stories are. Uh, by the time you get to the, the the high level tier, that that you know levels, honestly, probably twelve or thirteen and above, um, the stories are largely driven by those players and their backgrounds and their loose ends and the things that they need to sort of wrap up. That becomes the the story. And that's much harder to bring somebody completely new into because they don't have an established story with which to to pull from. And if when you do, it doesn't mean much because, well, that's just a thing that was made up just now. Like that wasn't established over the last six months of play or a year of play or, you know, it doesn't have the same oomph, right? It's just this sudden random new puzzle piece thrown into the jigsaw puzzle. Um, so, so, and then there's that middle tier. And at the middle tier... I think if somebody wanted to join my campaign in the middle tier, I would make it clear to them the situation they're finding themselves in and that it might be difficult to integrate them into the group, but it's doable, right? Mm-hmm. The early levels, 
I got no hesitation bringing him in. Right, I, I I brought in a new player into my current group uh, because it was a coworker who was kind of into gaming, and he was new to town, and I was new to town, and and he and I came in in the same cohort, and we're in the you know our our faculty sort of social gatherings. He and I would hang out and and whatever. And uh, when he mentioned he was a, a tabletop gamer, I'm like, oh well, if you ever need it, if you ever want to play a D and D group, let me know, right? And and that's you know that, and then he took me up on it, and here he comes, right? But they were like level. I don't know, five at that time. And he played a character and the character, well, they weren't even level five. They were like level three. He brought in a character. The character didn't really work for him or the group because of play style issues. And, but he recognized that and said, hey, can I just like retire that character now and start a new character? Uh, and, and that worked out pretty well. And then he got, got his footing under him and he's just an integral part of the group now, uh, 10 yeah. levels later. Um, but... But that's, you know, that's not, that would have been much more difficult to do if he came to me now when they're all level 13 and said, hey, I, I want to take you up on that offer and join your D&D group. And it's like, oh, well, we're kind of in the third act and everything's all like character driven at this point And that's going to be hard to do. Why don't you wait a few months when we're starting a new campaign? That'll make more sense, you know? And so <laughs> I, I think that's, I think that's the approach I recommend, right? If if you're at lower levels earlier in your campaign, still establishing who the characters are and what the story is going to be and what the setting is, um, then that's a fine time to bring in a new player to an ongoing campaign. If you're in the third act and things are kind of winding down and wrapping up and hitting all these big climaxes that are character-based, then I would definitely recommend, like, don't even try. Just tell them, hey, why don't you pop back in? Why don't you check back in with me in a few months? We'll be done with this campaign. We'll be starting fresh, and that'll be a perfect time to join. Right, and if you're in that in-between phase, it just it really depends on how much work they do to try to convince me. What do you feel about um, like having them play NPCs or finding other ways maybe of doing uh, one-offs that still work um, for the rest of the group? Mm-hmm. Uh, you so, know, like flashbacks and stuff like that. Yeah, so I feel like that kind of thing works well under certain conditions, right? If they are, they're already a, a gamer, right? They already know role playing. They're comfortable with with that, um, and and they just want to sort of. It's almost like the the get together to play card games ahead of time, right? It's a chance for them to sort of just jump in as a guest for one or two sessions, test it out, see if they mesh well with the group or whatever. Then that I think works fine. If it's somebody who's relatively new to gaming, um, I think it's too much to ask them to jump in immerse themselves in playing a character when they aren't comfortable doing that and, and don't know the system and um, have to be taught along the way. Um, I feel like that's probably too much to give them a good experience. Does that make sense? Uh, I mean, it totally does. Uh, and I, you know, I've been guilty of bringing people in with like, you know, a month or two before the campaign ends. Right. Uh, and it, it works but it definitely like you have to do a lot of vetting, I think. Uh, and it's not so much even like, will these people, you know, get along? It's more like, uh, do you understand that this is like the end point of the game? And that's are you fine with that? Like you might be like, I think I had that very real conversation of, of saying exactly those words of um, you're going to be going into a group where everybody has like this established history and all of these kind of like stories that they've told and you're you're not going to get to to be a part of that at this point because it's it's already done and this is just kind of like you know landing the plane on the the runway so to speak 
Um, and you're going to get to kind of experience this cool, like glory of like having these, um, this story like conclude, but you're also going to kind of miss out on, on a lot of the, the, the things that led up to it. And they were fine and that worked out, but it was, it was a lot of explaining, I think, to, to yeah. make it mess. It's a little bit like if, uh, Infinity War and Endgame were your first Marvel movies, right? Like it is a rollicking fun action-packed mm-hmm. story and you can have a blast doing it uh but there's a lot there that you're you just don't grok and, and that's okay you can hang on for the ride and have a blast and then be really interested and go back and, and watch those movies you know and catch up to that story or or in the D case you know that was that was a blast playing those the, you know level 18 and 19 uh you know fighting the demon lords and all the crazy things going on there and i don't think i really kept up with all the rules and the mechanics of the game but that's okay it was we were doing crazy fun things and i had a good time now i want to start over from the beginning so i can be there from the start Yes. Um, And and I think that's okay, but that's a that's a harder thing to do. Well, right. I've certainly had some people do that kind of stuff and they join in and they had that experience. It was a blast. They, they, They got hooked because they got to start off at their very first experience. They were, you know, the godlike PCs. Right. Uh, and that's fun, right? Uh, on the other hand, I've also had people come in and do that. And because they never felt connected to the story, because the story just didn't have the oomph and the meaning to them, um, you you could tell they quickly sort of lost interest and, and then dropped after a few sessions. So um, it can go either way. And I just I just don't yeah. – if, if, if you cannot do it at those high levels at the end of a campaign – uh, mm-hmm. I, I think I, I pretty firmly believe it's a good idea to just not do it uh, and bring them in, you know, offer to bring them in as soon as the, they get to the the, ne- the start of the next campaign, you know. Definitely. Yeah, I guess an alternative I would say, though, is that honestly, given that I'm someone who came to actually start playing when I was 30, uh, it really gets that way, honestly, even if it's not even a, a campaign specific, the people who mm-hmm. go deep into knowing every single thing about every single monster and every single magic item and mm-hmm. can go all the way from zero E to now, mm-hmm. uh, it can be difficult. Uh, no. And so, so it might, it, it could kind of be cool. Like, like I was saying with the NPC type thing, depending on the campaign and depending on the people and everything right. else, um, it's a good way to 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 let them just have fun without it actually being a character where somebody else might expect them to know every in and out and how to optimize their builds and all that stuff. Yeah, I think, and I think that's where the I, I see a lot of value in in doing the the game night, do a one shot, do you know that kind of stuff that's not the actual campaign to give them a chance to sort of test some things out and and the the pressure is low because nobody's. Everybody knows it's a one shot, so they're not as invested in in well. This person screwed us up because they didn't know what they were doing, or you know, uh, they don't, they don't have any idea what's happening. They don't they don't really know the sword coast like we do, or whatever you know. Um, they're not you know. So the pressure to keep up with the lore and the mechanics is um, is hopefully lesser in that situation. But I but I get it. Like a gaming group only gets to get together every so often, and you don't want to not do your regular campaign like you're you're eager for it you're anxious for it you want to get to the next to see what happens to your characters next and so sometimes it's hard to be like okay let's let's take a week and just go do something else for a while 
I think uh, I've been lucky where sometimes those coincide with the, oh, two or three people can't make it. And so you make that the week that you do your one shot or what have you. And that's always it's always fun to like be able to fill that time where otherwise would have been like, I guess we're not playing for two weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, sometimes you're lucky and other times you're just like, no, that like we would have to interrupt the flow of all of this. Yeah, I find it's a lot easier to um, find the time to do different things with my current group because we play weekly Uh, Mm -hmm. as opposed to my previous group group that played twice a month or every other week or whatever. Uh, and, and when the, in the, in that group, you know, um, so, so I, 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 I'm on the, the play test list for wizards of the coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we'd get play test stuff and it's like, well, yeah, but we want to play test it. But if we do, that means we don't get to play the campaign for another month, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was just really hard to make that sacrifice. Uh, now, with my current group, when when we get something, then it's like, oh well, yeah, let's take some time off next week and and go and do that, and that's fine because we're still going to play the campaign three times this month. Um, so it's sense. it's it's tough, and, and and I imagine it's also it's equally tough for then when you got a new player to just say, well, let's just do a one shot. Well, that depends. Are we going to? Does that mean we're not going to play the campaign for a month? I don't want to give that time up for this person who may or may not stick around. You know, it's true. Well, and, and I, it kind of in that same vein of uh, talking about all of that, uh, I think we've been talking about campaigns like they're people, and uh, obviously they can take on a life of their own, but like that's not to say that there might not even just be a group dyman- dynamic mm-hmm. of like, oh, here's the group where half the, half the people or more have known, them, known each other since high school, and bringing a new person into that, regardless of when or how, might be daunting uh, mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. One of the th- one of the other suggestions I can give um, for bringing somebody into an established group in the middle of a campaign that worked really well for for this one player that joined the, my current group, um, which again was at level well at that point maybe level four, but um, with that character. But I tried to the you know the one who had the one character who who he got partway through and was like, I don't know that this character is really jiving with the play style. I want to try something new. And so mm-hmm. with the second character, I'm like, well, here's what we do. We're going to integrate your character into the story in a meaningful way. And that'll wa- get them to want to have you as part of the group. So we were playing uh, dragon heist at that point. And, um, and so we made his new character. Um, his new character was, a an escaped member of the Castellanter's cult, like they, they, she, his his character uh, was a member of the cult. Um, she was brought in through her boyfriend or whatever uh, was sort of roped her into it, and and then she realized the horrible situation that it was and escaped, and then was able to be like a source of information for the players and the char- uh, the characters who were trying to find more information about the cult uh, and what they were up to and how to stop them and whatever. Uh, and so that became uh, a really easy hook to bring that character in and that player in in a meaningful way because I took the time to talk to the player ahead of time to be like, hey, what can we do with this character that you want to play that's going to really make them valuable to the rest of the party so that they welcome you in, <laughs> you know? Uh, and so you feel connected to the story. Uh, and so that that was, um, 
I think, a good choice um, for what I did with that. Or at least it worked well, better than the first time we, we tried to integrate a character in. No, that that's uh, fantastic and, and a really, really good advice. Like, you don't want to just say, hey, this person was just standing on the side of the road and they're going the same direction as you. And that just kind of feels like you're, you're tacking someone onto the group. Um, and I mean, I'm sure that like that there's been like l- more and less artful ways of bringing new people in, but like really trying to make a, a new character feel like they're part of the story. Um, it takes a little bit more work, but it's absolutely worth it because then they understand like, oh no, that I'm I'm necessary for the story, and so I'm necessary for this group. Absolutely. So I think it's okay at this point to transition to the other part of this then so how is this process different when you have a new player but also a new campaign uh so you've got an established group but it's a brand new campaign that we're just starting off right um how does that differ than than what we talked about before so we're talking like a new campaign, new player. Yeah, new, new campaign, new player, established group. Yeah, um, I mean, I think at that point, um, it's a great place to start. It's a great like ideal uh, circumstance, I think, for just the, the new person coming in. Uh, but there's still challenges there. Like you've got, uh, it, it's like what I was saying, like, you know, the, the people who've been playing since high school or whatever, um, so you're just kind of coming into a group that's got its own, like, you know, verbal tics and history and, and so on and so forth. And so I think the easy part is that everyone will feel like a group as characters. Uh, the hard part, I think, will be like making sure that the new person feels welcome, that they feel comfortable. Right. Um, that's where, like, uh, maybe you would do a little bit more work on a session zero uh, and just, you know, talk a little bit more about. Uh, you know what you're comfortable with mm. what sounds fun uh, just kind of getting getting a better feel for what the group is so that the new person can kind of you know f- figure out where they fit uh, and I guess I'm trying to, th- to find the, the right wording for it but it's like it's not it's not on the player to like figure out how to be a good fit for the for the group but like it's a great place to like understand if that's you know something that they would even want to do yeah, I th- I, and I was thinking uh, along similar lines. I think this is a perfect uh, time to really lean into the session zero, right? To, to to use this new campaign as an excuse to be like, let's just establish the new sort of group dynamics, the new group norms uh, and expectations. Uh, and, and I wouldn't even do it, you know, I wouldn't talk about it in terms of let's do it so that the new person is clear on what those things are. I would do it as occasionally these are the kinds of things that should be revisited. Let's just assume the group is starting fresh and let's rebuild these concepts, these ideas, these group dynamics from scratch. Um, uh, And so I think that's a good idea. Uh, And it may be that the group is like, well, I like this thing and that thing and whatever, let's keep doing that. Uh, And so there's maybe a little bit of a shorthand there for them. But and you can bring the new person along, right? It's it's all of the social issues with bringing in a new person without any of the campaign issues. Um, <laughs> although that said, 
I think if I was smart, and I'm not always smart, but I think if I was smart, um, it would still be a really good idea to do that whole, like, how can I make the new person's character really important to the story? Right? Because, Absolutely. Because they don't have the advantage of the history with the players, but that's a way for the players to instantly sort of buy into the character. Like, we need this person's character. We need them. Uh, they are integral to us achieving our goals and as we get together in this new campaign. Um, so I think that still kind of works. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it could even guide the the decision of, like, what campaign do we play? Uh, you find something that would play to the strengths of the people there, including the new person, and, and just kind of go, you know, does this sound interesting? Do you want to, you know, play this campaign that has all everything to do with like a bunch of giants, or would you rather play this campaign where you know you're it's more intrigue and uh, you're you're you know hanging around a city more often and and so on? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's it's a great place to start sculpting things for the group, uh, both the established characters and the new person. Okay. Any other thoughts on, I guess, any of this? Let's do, let's do last thoughts. We've almost been talking for an hour, so I guess it's okay to start wrapping. Well, I guess... Oh, go ahead. One thing we haven't talked about is there might be cases where we do have, um, people coming and going pretty often so like if Mm. if you are in a school group or um particularly college and stuff like that are there campaign like ways of orienting the campaign that might or storytelling that might be more make it easier to Mm -hmm. have people come and go uh i mean yeah it it would uh, i think there are play styles that kind of uh go more for that uh and you know whether it's a different system because i've heard of different systems that are very good for like that kind of plug and play uh of players but even with D, i think like either you go with an older style where just you know you run with a whatever character happens to be and it's a little, um i guess how D used to be it's like oh somebody died bring in someone new or mm-hmm. or so on uh, but I've also heard people uh, use these kind of um, like a little bit more of a zany campaign design where it's like uh, maybe you're going through an interdimensional dungeon and that allows for like new people to come and go all the time. Uh, I think I've seen some live plays that, that kind of uh, operate that way, specifically because we're bringing in a new person as a guest star or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's ways to do it as long as everyone is kind of on board with that premise of just like there's going to be a revolving door people are going to come in and out uh and you like i think i said it before but it's like the the campaign then has to be kind of like its own entity at that point because it it has to be the connective tissue where like if the people are not yeah i think at that point i i start you know my my struggle right now in in a a long-running group is oftentimes how do i take established storylines and published adventures and make it connect to the players and to their stories and to their characters. Um, And I think it kind of goes the other way uh, in that situation because you can't, you can't build a campaign off of telling the story based entirely off of the characters. If those characters are coming and going, 
Um, and so have your characters. They can have their growth. They can have their development. They can go into town and say, uh, you know, oh, I walk down the street. Who do I see? And you start and you ask them, hey, you, you see somebody that you grew up with. Who are they? You know, you can still bring in their character a little bit, but not make the story based on that character if you don't know they're going to be there next week. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And so you I imagine a lot more sort of short episodic um, stories, episodic stories that could tell a larger story. I, I found uh, when I ran the middle school group, um, I pulled a lot of bundles of Adventures League seasons mm-hmm. and ran, ran it that way. Uh, so, you know, they, they're all kind of self-contained, but when you get to the end, you kind of look back at it and see that you were telling a larger story. Um, you know, so that kind of thing works, I think, pretty pretty well for that kind of revolving cast thing yeah. I, I almost think of it like a i don't know like i'm running a D D as justice league unlimited if you remember that old cartoon right? <laughs> yes. we've got this whole stable of hundreds of superheroes but who's going to go on this adventure you know exactly because yeah. yeah, i was in a, a game for a while i think it was third edition um they you just had to end about end up back in town because the the person running it wanted to have a large group be able to play and so who the six people who said that they could make it that week the first six were the ones that got to to play and thus we couldn't the roster wasn't the same necessarily every week uh or every time we we met so as long as you ended up back in town it was all fine and then you could and then other things you could do with that is if you're designing the world you just have a lot of other extra characters in it that maybe already have some back and forth with the the players um uh player characters that people could assume over time yeah and that's a little like in my north carolina group um we had at different times six or seven players specifically and, and and that was the one where i would oftentimes recruit i wanted about seven players because we're all adults and we all have other things going on and, and whatever. And so any given session, I just assumed that at least one, maybe two players weren't going to be there. But that was a little different because people – it was still within a relatively small group. So I could still sort of bring in player-driven narratives. And if that player wasn't there that day, then i just sort of figure out on the fly how to shove that that character – that story that we were going to tell into the into, onto the back burner and bring it up later, you know? And that, yeah. was four, and that was fourth edition, so it was easy. I'd just throw an encounter at him, and that would take the whole session. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, and it, and it does go back to, like, what are you trying to get out of the game? Are you trying to build elaborate uh, player-driven stories, but mm-hmm. still largely massaged by the DM, versus a story of an area that's kind of discovered over time, uh, and, and a lot more of, like, happens at the table and doesn't necessarily have an intentional arc. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like in games like those, it would almost have to be more progress driven uh, or like um, uh, goal driven to where it's like, OK, doesn't matter who's there on a given day, but, you know, you have to go do this thing. Right. Uh, like, you know, maybe um, your goal is you have to go find the MacGuffin and there's all these clues. And so, like, the work is to go and collect the clues so it doesn't matter who's there on a given day the clues are all collected into one place and then so you're kind of working towards that goal it's you're kind of like filling up a progress meter and the who the people who are there 
aren't necessarily like uh, as important to the story. Yeah, and that's like if there's a specific story trying to be told, I guess like with some sandbox adventures and stuff like that, there's not sometimes with some of the games there's not even necessarily a specific story so you wouldn't know you're making progress to a cult because you're, <laughs> you're kind of exploring as you go on and and a probably more dice driven story and i mean in back in the what first and second edition days that was that was how the game largely was designed to function like they didn't publish big campaigns they published individual adventures that took half a level if that you know and you'd piece them together and you'd run one and then that was fun but here's here's another one that i've got that's about the right level let's do that one next and uh you know and and so you progressed in that way um but yeah, no, I think I think that's uh, you know you could run those a little episodic. We don't. There's not as many of those style of adventures being sold these days, unless you go to DM's Guild and just get all the things published by wonderful people like like Ismail. Uh, but there are collections of those, right? Uh, uh, Sly Flourish's Fantastic Layers, Sly Flourish and and James. And, who, who published the Fantastic Layers uh, sort of uh, works together that way. I think Kobold has one called Eldritch Layers that kind of you could just pull individual pieces out of. Uh, Tales of the Old Margrave works out, you know, so you could you could get enough of the, or even uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh or, or Tales of the Yawning Portal, you could sort of yeah ad- little episodic adventures that way pretty well. Yeah, that tends to be more my style, and that's probably why I don't run a lot of published adventures and i I think there's um i think there's value to that um and i think that can be a a fun way to play uh we we've we've gotten we've gotten um i don't know biased uh, in modern play by by a lot of streaming campaigns you know the the critical roles and that kind of stuff and they have these in-depth character driven sort of storylines i like the idea of doing the episodic one but putting it in the frame of a larger event or whatever like uh, put it in the Forgotten Realms, put it out in the country of Aglarond, which is, you know, and a war has just broken out between Aglarond and Thay. And then all the campaigns are happening within the context of there's this war raging. Uh, and yeah. you can do a lot with that. And so there's a larger story, but it's not like you don't have to progress the story. You just have to know there's a war going on in the background. Right. Or set in Eberron during the last war. Ooh. Right? I like that idea. Anyway, I've rambled. And, and, and when I said we were almost at an hour, that was 10 minutes ago. So uh, any other last thoughts or, or topics that people want to bring up? Um, well, I, gosh, I was going to. Oh, yeah. So to that end, uh, I'm glad that, that uh, I, I brought I got my train of thought back. I think that it's interesting because you were talking earlier about tears and, and so on. I think that it's interesting that. Uh, Wizards of the Coast has done all of these great campaigns that range from about 1 to 13. And I think there is some intentionality behind that uh, because that's about the time that you can have like a written down start to finish campaign. Uh, and if you go any any further than that, then the story is more about the characters than their than their goals. Uh, and so that's when you start kind of spinning off into all these wild things of like, oh, you did that thing like, you know, five months ago and now it's really come back to bite you in the butt. And now we're all dealing with that. And that's not something you can write down. That's not something that you can do 
uh, in a written campaign. That's just something that happens organically. And I think in a way they're wise to stay away from doing that end level content because it, it doesn't feel um, as fun to do something that's going to be like, oh, we're going to tell you how your end game goes and you're going to follow it bit by bit where uh, usually by that time, if you have played from start to finish to uh, like one to 13 or whatever, uh, you'll have stories to tell. You'll have a character that is driven by motivations and and past uh, actions. And so I think that's kind of part and parcel uh, what we're talking about. It's like once you're bringing people in, um, they either have to have the time to to grow into that kind of into those stories, or they have to understand it's like oh you're you're this, this it's too late for you to do that. You're just going to come into this like really cool action movie. I think you're comparison to uh, uh, Infinity Wars and Endgame is perfect because that's exactly right. You could watch those movies absent of everything that happened before them. It would be a lot of fun. You're just, you're kind of missing out on a lot of stuff. Right. Well, and and uh, I don't know if I necessarily agree that they're wise to have completely avoided that, but that is a, a detailed conversation that we had in last month's episode Oh where we did, we did a whole episode with Sean Merwin and Josh Perry about, uh, so all the campaigns end at level 12. What do you do with your characters and your campaign after that? That was sort of the premise of that whole episode. So uh, we <laughs> could talk about that at length and have. <laughs> so. Excellent. I know what I'm listening to next. Anyway, uh, are we good wrapping things up then? Because I am tired and it's bedtime. Yes. <laughs> All right. Not to cut anybody off. I could stay up. No, not at all. Okay. Then we're going to go ahead and call that the end of the episode. Uh, We'd like to say thank you to our sponsor, awesomedice.com, and to our guest, uh, Ishmael. Yes. Thank you. Uh, Ish, where can people go and find you on the internet? Um, I have changed my social media so that I am Elven Wizard King and anywhere you can find me, which is on Twitch. Uh, I do streaming Mondays and Thursdays. Mondays I have my uh, Rime of the Frost Maiden game, uh, which is due to end in a few months. So come and watch the exciting end game content now. It's uh, kind of relevant to what we're talking about. The Thursdays I do uh, video game streaming. And then otherwise you can find me, uh, I'm sorry, Twitch, Twitter facebook though i'm less uh, active on there these days and then if you are, happen to be on drive through rpg or dm's guild i have content on both under my uh given name of ismael alvarez a little harder to spell than elven wizard kings awesome uh and we'd also like to say thank you to all of you who support us by being patrons at patreon.com slash the tome show if you want to get a hold of us, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can find Tracy on Twitter. She is at Sarah Darkmagic. That's Sarah with an H. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. The show is at The Tome Show. Um, and uh, although I'm most of the people who respond to that, although there's a few other people with access to the Tome Show account as well. Mostly... Uh, Lewis to post stuff from the news and Sam to post stuff when he when he posts new episodes. And that's episode 348 where we grew our ranks and recruited an army of gamers. Yes. In this episode of
欢迎猫和汪。